Welcome to Life at the Academy, a midshipman-produced podcast that examines how the culture, traditions, and daily life of midshipmen have evolved over time. I'm midshipman Nels Waranimi. And I'm midshipman Calvin Tran. Calvin, our episode today is about the first class of women to attend the Naval Academy. Can you give us a sense for what the average midshipman knows about the experiences of those women? For sure, Nels. I think that most midshipmen would know that the first class of women to attend the Naval Academy was in 1976, and at the time, they made up a very small portion of the brigade. They would also probably know about some notable female alumni from that time period, including Wendy Lawrence, who was from the class of 1981, and Admiral Michelle Howard, who was from the class of 1982. However, we don't seem to have a good grasp of the day-to-day experiences of those women and some of the difficulties and hardships that they went through in order to be the first women to graduate from the Naval Academy. I would agree with that. I think many midshipmen can probably visualize and understand why the introduction of women into the academy would be very tough for them and very tough for the brigade as a whole. But I think very midshipmen actually know about the individual stories and the day-to-day challenges and obstacles that these women had to face. And at the same time, there was an adjustment for the males who were at the academy at the time as well, because the Naval Academy was an all-male culture, and it was centered around that kind of environment. So they must have had an adjustment as well. I would agree with that, and I think that the inclusion of women at the academy as a whole forced the, the institution of the culture to drastically change in such a short period of time, and it also forced the brigade to address many societal issues, which are still being addressed today at the academy through multiple education programs for sexual assault and prevention. So to answer our questions about this time period at the Naval Academy, we've asked two guests to join us. One is a member of the first class of women to attend the Naval Academy, who graduated in 1980, and the other is her husband, who is a member of the class of 1981. Calvin, can you introduce our first guest? Mrs. Sharon Hanley Disher graduated from the United States Naval Academy in 1980 in the first class with women and men, and was the first woman to graduate from the Naval Academy with a Bachelor of Science degree in Systems Engineering. She served in the Naval Civil Engineering Corps for 10 years, including her last tour of duty as the officer in charge of the Construction Battalion Unit 414 in New London, Connecticut, where she was the second woman in the Navy to ever hold such a position. In 1998, Mrs. Disher published her book entitled, First Class, Women Join the Ranks at the Naval Academy, a story about the first class with both women and men at the Naval Academy. Mrs. Disher resides in Washington, D.C. with her husband, Tim Disher, a retired Naval Submariner and the current Director of International Programs at the Naval Academy. The Disher twins, Allison and Brett, are 2010 graduates of the Naval Academy, serving in the Navy and Marine Corps, respectively. And their youngest son, Matthew, is a Naval Academy member of the class of 2013. The Disher family is the first family whose members all graduated from the Naval Academy. Today, Mrs. Disher is retired after teaching and creating STEM curriculum at Title I schools, where she worked diligently to grow our nation's next engineers and scientists. Mr. Tim Disher graduated from the Naval Academy in 1981 and joined the submarine community. His at-sea assignments included USS John Adams, USS Will Rogers, Destroyer Squadron 32, and USS John C. Stennis, CVN-74. His shore assignments included Assistant Professor of Leadership at the Naval Reserve Officer Training Corps, NROTC Unit, University of Washington in Seattle, Washington, and varying degrees of increased leadership at the submarine training facilities in Charleston, South Carolina, and Norfolk, Virginia. 
He was selected as a foreign area officer and assigned to serve as the liaison officer in Madrid, Spain, for all cooperative programs between the U.S. and Spanish navies. En route to Spain, he graduated with distinction from the Defense Language Institute with proficiency in the Spanish language. He is the author of several articles on the integration of international education at the United States Naval Academy. He has taught undergraduate courses on leadership, ethics, and culture. He retired from the U.S. Navy on 1 September 2007 and currently serves as the Director, International Programs Office at the United States Naval Academy. He is responsible for coordination of international engagement programs for faculty, staff, and the 4,500 midshipmen, including semester study abroad, immersion, and professional exchanges. In 2020, the U.S. Naval Academy was the first service academy to be recognized with the NAFSA Senator Paul Simon Award for Campus Internationalization for making significant, well-planned, well-executed, and well-documented progress toward comprehensive internationalization using innovative and creative approaches. With that, here was our conversation with Mr. and Mrs. Disher. Mr. and Mrs. Disher, thank you very much for joining us here today. You're very welcome. Pleasure to be here. To start off, we would like to hear about why were you both interested in coming to the Academy itself and just a little bit about your background before you came to the Academy. So my dad was a pilot in the Air Force for 26 years, and I always wanted to be a pilot or a doctor. And I also wanted to join the military. Even if I'd gone to a civilian institution, I would have joined the military because I appreciated the not so much equal opportunity for women back then, but the equal pay and the travel, and and I'd done it all my life. And so my dad, I was a senior in high school, and I, it was October and I was trying to figure out what I was going to do. And my dad said, hey, what about the academies? They just opened up to women. And I said, what's an academy? <laughs> and, and he told me, you know, a great education, join the military, uh, guaranteed job. And, and for me, I really just wanted to serve my country. So the fact that it was the first time for women wasn't really a draw for me. It was more about serving. So my father was a pilot in the Navy. He was a 1957 graduate of the U.S. Naval Academy. So being a military brat, it was really uh, a lifestyle that I became familiar with. And uh, I went to high school in Virginia Beach, which wasn't too far from Annapolis. So we actually came up and visited a couple times. It was something that I was very impressed with. I also felt that I would have benefited from a more disciplined lifestyle at a university. Um, so the Academy appealed in that regard. I also applied for ROTC, but fortunately I, I was accepted at the, at the Naval Academy. Could we turn to the application process? And particularly we're interested in what it was like to apply to the Naval Academy, being that your class, Mrs. Disher, was the first one to include women. Well, the process I think is just hard for anybody. Um, I don't really remember anything in particular, you know, specific to being a woman. I know there was a lot of interest with the press, and I actually applied to all four academies, Coast Guard, West Point, Air Force, and Navy, and got turned down by them all because I have no depth perception. So I had to get a waiver, and Air Force was the only one who wouldn't give me a waiver. And I immediately got into West Point, and by February of my senior year, I accepted the appointment because I hadn't heard back from Navy. And I, I had, had been uh, selected as an alternate for Coast Guard because I think they only chose 13 women that year. 
So I picked uh, West Point, accepted my appointment. And then in April, I got a call from Navy and came down here. And in a day, I changed my mind. <laughs> Mr. Disher, anything to add on that? I can't really recall. My father, um, the nominating source was Ohio. And I was living in Virginia. So I do remember going up to Ohio. And it was through that congressman um, that I was actually uh, nominated through. It turns out that the primary uh, nomination was a female, one of my classmates, and I was so I was an alternate uh, from Ohio, and uh, that was the process for me that I recall. Mrs. Disher, when you first announced to your friends and your family and your community that you intended to apply to the Naval Academy, what was their reaction to that? Well, it's funny because people ask me why did I stay, and I always say Patty Labelle's mother. And they're like, Patty LaBelle? You knew Patty LaBelle's mother? And it's like, no, not that Patty LaBelle. Patty LaBelle was a, in the band with me. We played flute together in the band. And when she told her mother that I was going to the Naval Academy, her mother said, she'll never make it because she's too much of a party girl. <laughs> and, and for me, that was like just the reason that I was going to stay. But uh, so I, I remember that. And then I remember just the, the press, you know, the press was all over us to um, I was in the front page of the newspaper and then lots of interviews and uh, which was fine. But I, I really the notoriety for me was somewhat uncomfortable. Next, we'd like to turn to what it was like to be a midshipman here, Mrs. Disher. Could you describe what it was like? What was the sexism like when you first came here to the academy? The first day, on I-Day, at the end of the day, we went down to meal, and meal was surf and turf, which is lobster and steak. It was awesome. But by the end of the day, as you guys know, it's you're exhausted, and you've just said goodbye to your parents, and you're sad, and, and I just couldn't get out of there fast enough. And I was sitting at a table with three upperclassmen and nine plebes, um, all my squad mates, and I couldn't remember how to ask to be excused. I, I couldn't, you know, requesting permission to shove off. I forgot. So I messed that up. And, and then my platoon leader stood up, and he, was, he wanted to know uh, what the menu was for morning meal. And I was like, what? Do we, we have to know that the first day? I didn't think we had to know that the first day, so I didn't know that. And then he went around the table, and nobody knew the answer. So I thought, oh, I'm off the hook. And then he pointed his finger at me, and he said, Miss Hanley, my maiden name, Ms. Hanley, I don't like women in my school. I don't want women in my school. And it'll be my mission to see you are gone before I graduate. Is that clear? And I thought, oh my gosh, welcome aboard. And how do you answer that with one of your five basic responses? And I just realized I just needed to stay away from that guy because he was going to be trouble. And uh, But unfortunately, he was my platoon leader. And he did make life miserable. And they actually put his room next to our room, the girls' room. And for the next year, he made our life absolutely miserable. And then right before graduation, when we were moving to our new rooms, he wanted to help us. He wanted to come help the girls move our stuff. We were all like, no, no, sir, no thanks. <laughs> so it was, pretty, it was pretty clear from the beginning that they didn't want us here. Nobody wanted us here. The, it just was, it was really... The thing about it was, it was I found it exhausting because you never knew who, what people, if people liked you. When you met someone, you didn't know if they liked you here or they didn't care or they wanted to date you or you just were always on guard. And the thing for us was the discrimination, the sexism, it was, it was blatant. 
You know, it was some of it was physical, and but it was always very verbal. People had no trouble telling us to get out of their school. Um, I was one of the first Navy cheerleaders. Prior to the uh, women coming here, the cheerleaders were gals from local all-women colleges, like Hood College or Mount Mary Washington, I think, at the time. And, and so they brought in these gals who were, had long hair, because we could only keep our hair really, really short. So they had long hair, they wore makeup and jewelry, and they mids could date them. And then when we came on board, the administration decided, well, we've got gals, so we'll use them. They should be cheerleaders. And it was funny because prior to that, plebes weren't allowed to be cheerleaders. But then once we were here, we could be cheerleaders. So there were six of us. And, uh, and there were six guy cheerleaders, so 12 total. But when they put us down on the sidelines in front of the brigade, the brigade was brutal. They were brutal. They just called us all kinds of names, told us we were fat and ugly, get off the field, get out of our school. They threw things at us. And the most disappointing thing, I think, for me looking back was that the leadership didn't do anything to stop it. You know, they just let that go on. Like I said, it was kind of exhausting just all the time. You just were always on your guard because there was always somebody who was going to, who seemed to be coming after you. That's interesting. Mr. Disher, was that attitude, I can understand, understand might be the wrong word, but why someone who's been here before women were introduced or, or included in the brigade, why they would have, it would take a while for them to lose that kind of attitude. But was that attitude the same in your class after women were introduced? Were there still guys who, who felt that way? So it's a very good question. I would say context is important here. So m- many people may not know how many women were in the first class. Turns out that 81 entered and 55 graduated. So not every company had women. And then in my case, uh, so I was in the class of 81, the second class of women, and it turns out there were women in the class of 80 and women in the class of 81. But even then, very few because there was, you know, about the same number that were in the class of 81. So there weren't very many women around at all. And generally speaking, because of that, there might be only one room of uh, the class of 81 and one room of the class of 80. So two rooms out of all of the company were, were women. And some companies still did not have women in their company. So to your point, uh, there were men that were in the class of, you know, 77, that that was her upper class. Now we're into 78 and 79. So 78 and 79 did not have her women in their classes. And so when I got there, there were two classes that didn't have women and two classes that did. I would say that you have to remember where society was back then and and what was permissive and what wasn't permissive and and so looking back you could see how wrong so many things were and so when i listen to sharon talk to speak to the midshipmen of today it's been over 40 years and so including our daughter has been here so our daughter graduated 30 years after her mother and so through her eyes we were able to see what kind of progress had been made and probably the biggest progress was the number of women and the law, well, the law changed, the, you know, the combat exclusion law changed in 1994. Um, and even until, you know, most recently, 2010, that's when that allowed women to go on submarines. And then even after that, you know, the Secretary of Defense had to say everything is open to all women. And that hasn't been all that long. So look how it's taken many, many, many years for, for progress 
uh, and for women to be allowed to do the things that they certainly are capable of doing, have demonstrated their ability, but society and for whatever reason limited themselves uh, probably longer than they needed to, clearly. You know, the thing for me was in high school, women could do anything. We'd be president of the class, yearbook editor, you know, student council president. We could, we did all that and no one questioned what we were doing because we were girls. And then we came here and everything we did was wrong because we were a girl, simply because we were a girl. And we were taking the, po- the place of somebody who could have served in a combat position, which was the mission of the Naval Academy. So we were always fighting that battle, you know, that, that we were taking the place of somebody because we weren't allowed to go into any combat positions. But we all wanted to. We were all willing to do it. It was Congress who was holding us back in that regard. So, um, so that was kind of, that was, that was always a hard argument to have. And it's kind of like, I'd always say, well, if you never have any women trained up, then you always have a reason not to put them in those positions. But, uh, you know, the the guys didn't, didn't really buy that. (laughs) Ma'am, this might be an obvious question, but, or an obvious answer, but I, I still think that the question is worth asking. Why do you think the Academy lagged broader society on that issue? I don't know that they lagged broader society. I mean, I, I think women still... Um, we, we still weren't really, there were some women who were lawyers or engineers and doctors, you know, it was still, I think we were pretty much even with, with society at the time. I think in fact that the academies opened up to women was, you know, some people would have called it, they did call it a social experiment. And there was, there were even higher ups in the administration who I've heard stories about, um, with some of the sports teams, uh, one of my best friends was an incredible all-American swimmer and and she's a classmate as well and she was told by her coach that someone higher up in the department said don't worry about you know dealing with her too much because those women they're not going to be here next year and that was our plea year. Uh, Mrs. Disher in your book you discussed how female members of the class of 1980 adopted different methods to endure their experiences. Can you tell us more about these methods and how did they help you all cope with the situation? Yeah, you know, for us, it was about survival. It was just about getting through and graduating. And so we each found our our own way. And some gals became wallflowers and just kind of tried to blend in. And some became promiscuous and some turned to religion. Some had eating disorders for me, I decided to become one of the guys, and I could cut down a female classmate as well as any guy, and I could swear as well as any guy, and that was how I fit in and was able to, you know, just keep it going. And I, I remember one time they were going to have a meeting, all the women, and I was like, oh, no way am I going to that because that then it looks like a sewing club, you know, and there was no way I was going to do that. I always just hung with the guys and I could be, you know, as crass as the guys. <laughs> so that was kind of my survival mechanism. And that's, that's just what it was all about. And then when the next class of women came on board, I think they all expect, well, I know, because we've talked about it. They all expected us to take them under their wings and, you know, and we were all like, Girlfriend, are you crazy? We got so much baggage. We're not carrying your baggage, too. We got enough baggage of our own. And and they were all kind of like, what? What do you mean? I mean, if you were on a sports team, then maybe you you helped out the underclass. But for the most part, we were pretty pretty driven just to survive. And I, I remember not too long ago, I was at one of 
class of 81, the gals had a, a breakfast and they invited me and I stood up at the breakfast and I said, here to apologize on behalf of the women of 80. I am here to apologize for, you know, ignoring you guys and, you know, letting you do it on your own. Um, and Mr. Disher, also in the book, Mrs. Disher mentioned that there's some awkward moments over particularly plebe summer of, of how male detailers approach find the right way to train the incoming women. Did you see any of this over your time at the academy? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I don't know whether I've filtered any of those thoughts. I will tell you that I was a squad leader when I was a firstie. I was in first set. I do remember that there were more women in the class of 84 in that case. Again, I think there were so few women that um, if you didn't want to deal with women, you didn't have to. You could just go do something else. And so the women, unfortunately, would not have benefited from an interaction or not benefited from an interaction with midshipmen. So I think at that point, in those days, um, if you did not feel that women should be here, I, I think I know that there were men that just didn't deal with it. Um, and then, on the other hand, there were men that said, okay, the women are here. Um, they're my classmates, or they're going to be future officers just like me. And, and I think that they demonstrated a, probably a, a more mature attitude than, than would have been normal uh, back then. And uh, they would try to help the women and listen to them and try to help them adapt and adjust. But I do think the lack of role models, the lack of women company officers, battalion officers in leadership was not helping the cause because here the women were essentially there by themselves as students in a very large institution. I wasn't there in my four years there. I don't think we were there long enough to really notice any trends because the, the number of women continued to be small numbers. Mrs. Disher, I saw you nodding your head during that answer. Do you have anything, anything to add on that? Uh, I can't remember why I was nodding. Okay. My head. <laughs> <laughs> well, role, role models. Oh, role models. Yeah. So it was really difficult for us because we did not have any role models. There was one, oh, there were two officers, female officers there. And uh, one of them, she just had a, t talk about a hard road to toe. I mean, she, she had a, even worse than we did because she didn't have a, any kind of pin. So her credibility was always in question. And, um, and so she really was hard core with us and with everybody and so nobody liked her because she just was really tough and then um and there was another officer but she was like the scheduling officer so you really never saw her yeah so not having role models was a real real challenge and mentoring was not we, we never had mentors nobody had mentors back then which could have been very helpful mrs disher was there ever a time when someone clearly crossed the line during your training uh well I mean, for me, somebody really crossed the line. And if you read my book, that uh, my second set squad leader called me down to his room one Sunday morning, had the mate come and get me, and then I walked into the room, and he didn't have a shirt on, and his top button of his trousers was undone, and he told me to sit down. And I thought, what, 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 you know, so I did, and then he leaned over and kissed me, and he, then I'm like, and he said, is that okay? And I'm thinking, oh my God, how do I, how do I answer that? 
And uh, I'm like, I guess so, sir. And he said, okay, you can shove off. And I'm thinking, oh, my God. <laughs> okay, now what do we do? I mean, this is a week into his three-week stint as a squad leader. And and it was clear that he he was attracted to me, and but it was clear to everybody. And that was a real problem because uh, my classmates could see what was going on. And and I, I remember bracing myself up once just to pretend that, you know, my squad leader had done it. But um, so I'm not sure if that's is that if that's what you're looking for. But um, yeah, it was it was just, it was just really hard. And then and then on the other hand, I am a platoon leader who was, you know, just being a real jerk. So you've got these these two different attitudes towards women there on exact opposite scales from one another. That's interesting. So the, it wasn't really even on a spectrum of, you know, finding the right balance. It was just far past the line. Right. And I think it's like what Tim said, you know, it was it was out here or it was over there. Like, I, I'm just not going to deal with women. I, I don't care whether they're here or not. I don't have to deal with them because there's not that many. And so I'm not going to. That's interesting. Uh, to build off of that, the Academy today has put a lot of effort towards shape training, towards harassment training to ensure that things like that has happened to you doesn't happen in today's brigade. And I was just wondering for you, in, in your experience at the time at the Academy, was there ever any accountability or policies put by leadership to, to protect the first class of women or other classes of women from experiencing these type of things? No. There, and I think that went on for a really long time. There, were, there was nothing. It, if you reported anything, well, what did you expect? It's an all-boys school. Why did you come here? Boys will be boys. You know, that, th this is what what you think was going to happen when you came here. That Those were the answers that you got. And if you were sexually assaulted, you must have asked for it. What, what were you wearing? You know, what did you do? So it was, there was nothing. So you just didn't report anything. You just didn't. And and that, I don't know when the SHAPE program or SAPR, when all, those all started, but I remember coming in here in 1992, and we were back for homecoming game, and I was talking to some of the female midshipmen, and the things they were telling me was, I just couldn't believe it. It had been 12 years since we graduated, and the things I was hearing was just as bad as when we were here, and, and that's pretty much what incited me to write the book, because I just thought, you know what, it's time, we got to start talking about this, because it's never going to get better if we don't start telling our stories. And um, so I'm really thrilled that the Academy's come a really long way in that regard. Mr. Disher, this is a bit of an aside, but if you don't mind me asking, how did both of you meet at the Naval Academy? <laughs> so we met, it was uh, fall of my second class year, so fall of her first class year. And uh, we ended up, uh, unbeknownst to either one of us, um, her classmate in my company actually introduced us. And the, and the reason we were introduced was because we, we were both headed to the Caribbean for Christmas, both to see our families. And so my father was actually uh, stationed in Roosevelt Roads in Puerto Rico, and her family was uh, living in St. Croix. And so we ended up flying down together, and then um, and we struck up a conversation on the flight down to the Caribbean, and uh, when we landed, I said, hey, Dad, how do I get over to St. Croix? And he said, well, as a matter of fact, there's a daily uh, helicopter flight that goes over, a Navy helicopter flight, because there was a submarine range over in St. Croix. So I got on one of those flights, helicoptered over from Puerto Rico to St. Croix, spent some time over in St. Croix, and then she came over uh, to Puerto Rico. 
So there we were. We thought, okay, in the Caribbean, a lot of fun. She'll probably not be happy that I that I say this, but you know, while we were there, she said, "You know what? I'm never going to date an underclassman." And I'm like, I'm yeah. like, I'm like, okay, but you know, we're we're having fun, and of course, when we left uh, Caribbean to come back, it was the dark ages. So, um, um, so we ended up continuing to. So she did date this underclassman, <laughs> um, and we and so we dated for the rest of uh, her time. We ended up getting married in 1985. Five years later, um, Mr. Disher, throughout your four years at the academy, did you notice a attitude change among the male midshipmen? And for you, Percy, did your attitude ever change with the integration of women throughout the academy? I think you know it's going to be hard to generalize. You know, was there an attitude change? I do think that the longer we were here, and that we understood why the women were here, that that they helped us understand that. You know, women are very capable, and so that they can accomplish, you know, what, they're, what they would like to accomplish. And, and they were limited by the law at the time. And I think probably one of the biggest obstacles for the women was that they were not allowed to uh, graduate and get commissioned for what the purpose of the Naval Academy was, which is unrestricted line and going into combat. And so I think that was something that the women couldn't argue against because that's what the law said. And so when most of the men might have thought, and I think it's probably fair to say that men thought, okay, women are here, they're taking the spot of another person that could graduate and fulfill the the goals of the Naval Academy. And until that law changes, why should women be here? So that, you know, that was a hard argument for anybody to, to counter. But um, I will tell you in my own personal way, I, I do think that over time I got more mature in my approach about you know, who my classmates were and how to support, you know, this notion of today we talk about dignity and respect. That's not anything that we really talked about very much in my, in our, in our time back in the late seventies, early eighties. And so I think that some of my actions were immature. Um, I think that, you know, I, I'm not proud of some of the things that I did uh, toward my female classmates. Um, and I could have respected them a lot better. And I think eventually I, I, I did develop a better attitude about that. Mrs. Disher, we heard that the registrar had to ensure that two women were in each class. First of all, is that true? And either way on that, what were classes like for uh, for you guys? So that's interesting. I, I'm not, I, I wasn't aware of that. And I will tell you that there were classes where I was the only female in there. Well, mainly, particularly later in the later years because I was a systems engineer. And I was there. Actually, there were two women uh, systems engineers, but one dropped down to general engineering. So I was really the only systems engineer. So by first a year, I was the only woman in the class, um, consistently. But I, I was treated great, you know, by the professors. They were really some of them just didn't even notice that I was a female, and then some were, you know, a little more. Uh, they kind of took me under their wings, which was great. And the guys were great. I mean, my, my classmates who were systems engineers, we were all really close. So that, that was really nice. Mrs. Disher, in your book, you mentioned about the, the trauma and the scars that sometimes occurs with some of your female classmates. And we all believe that it's really important to have these tough conversations about what happened in history and then how we can learn from them. But just in general, why do you think it was so difficult for many of your classmates to tell their stories today or, or back then? Well, when I was researching my book, uh, I, there were things I heard that I just couldn't believe. 
I couldn't believe. Like one of my classmates, she told me she was, a, when she was a plebe, she was taking a shower. And one of her firsties took off his clothes and got in the shower with her and tried to assault her. <laughs> and I was just astounded because really I was in 33rd company, which doesn't exist now, but I had a great company. You know, overall there were some, there was some hardcore second classmen who tried to drive us out. But overall they were, it was a really good company, but there were other women who the stories I heard about their companies and their classmates who would try to drive them out. You know, one gal, told me she was studying during study hour one night and all of a sudden the lights went out in the, her room so she went to the door to see what was going on and her classmates were there and they threw a pie that they'd brought up from dinner they threw it in her face and told her to get out of their school so they had turned off the lights to her room there were guys who had put dead mice in pillowcases there were or in your well we had mailboxes i don't think you guys still have them, but we had these little mailboxes down by the maid's desk and you'd go and get your mail and there'd be a dead mouse in there or something so after hearing those stories I understood why there's so many of my female classmates who cannot come back they can't even come back here and and we quite frankly you know we were separated like Tim said there weren't not every company there were nine companies that had no females so there were so there's things that happened to women that were just so difficult that we weren't able, we were spread out, we weren't able to support one another. And and like I said, like I didn't want to be part of a sewing club. I didn't want to support, I wanted to fit in. And, and so we never helped each other. But in recent years, we've really congealed as a, a class or a female class. And we've had activities and uh, reunions just with the women to just get to know each other. And we're really cool people. <laughs> I mean, we are really an amazing group of women. But even with those reunions, there were a, a lot of women who couldn't even come to those. And we didn't hold them at the academy. We held them, you know, off the yard so that we, it, with hopes that it would be easier for them to come back. But there were things that happened to them and a lot of things I don't even know that were just so horrible that they just, they just can't, they just couldn't come back. And I know there were a couple of Napsters. We had a couple of Napster women in our class. Actually, we had three. One didn't show up Friday. The other one quit plebe summer. And the third one, she told stories of, you know, at Naps, they lit the girl's room on fire. Yeah, because they didn't, they didn't want them there. And, and when they went down to lunch, they had to sit at their own table. They, nobody would sit with them. So it was just so stories like that. At such a formative time in your life, I think they just stay with you forever. And, and you guys will find out later that this place, how can a four-year part of your life matter so much? But it does. And, and, it, and it affects men as well, I think. It's not just the women. But it, it's so, it, so that stuff that happened back then, it's, just, it's sometimes really hard to overcome. Mrs. Disher, you write in your introduction to your book, I Love the Naval Academy. So is that an act of overlooking some of the difficult things, or are the two more interrelated? Um, you know, I do love the Naval Academy, and there, and truly, my book is a tip of the iceberg. There's so many stories. You can re really read between the lines. But the Naval Academy is a wonderful place, and and it, it just kind of was following the sign of the times back then. I mean, I, I get what was happening, and but I have an amazing life. 
because of the Naval Academy. I met an amazing man. I have three wonderful children. I had a great career. I mean, I, I stayed in for 10 years. I was in the Civil Engineer Corps. I had a, a great time in the Navy. Everything I've been given, and and it's a lot. I mean, I tell people, I was saying Mother Teresa in a previous life because this life is so amazing. And it was because of the Naval Academy. So I do love the Academy. Um, but at, there are times when I do I, I struggle with the progress being a little slower than I had hoped. But, you know, it took us over 70 years to get the vote, for women to get the vote. So it's only only been 40 years. Um, but it just, you know, progress is just slow. Change is slow. Change is hard and change is slow. But but it's, but it's come really far, and I, I see the women of today and, and the men of today, and, and I tell my female classmates, listen, these individuals are amazing. They're amazing. And what we did was worth it. it. It was really hard, but I'm telling you, you should come back and see what we helped create because it was worth it because of the midshipmen of today. Mr. Disher, I think this is a good segue into some of the more general questions we have about culture at the Naval Academy. So Mrs. Disher asked the question, how is it that a four-year institution has such an impact on, on your lives? You know, I don't really give that a whole lot of thought other than the evidence is today my best friends are my classmates. I think it goes back to your very first question, which was, why did you join the Naval Academy? So we, we gave you an answer. And it turns out that we wanted to do something bigger than ourselves. And, of course, we didn't really know what that meant at the time. And then we found out what that meant. And, it, and I really think that sense of purpose, you know, and, and working with people that have that sense of purpose, um, there's a lot that that's the, that's the glue that, that binds everybody. And, and so that's why when you graduate from here and you immediately meet somebody, um, they graduated from here or another academy, you instantly have a connection. And it's because you all believe in something, um, serving other, something other than yourself. And so, and so it's easy to um, meet with people and find things in common. And whether they stay in the military or not, you know, as our oath, as our mission statement says, you know, it, we know that the inculcation of those uh, of those values will serve you well in the military and just as a citizen, um, no matter what you're going to do. So I think that it's that that we feel so strongly about that, um, that it's easy to stay in touch and to continue to relate with those kinds of people. Anything to add on that, Mrs. Disher? No, I would I would agree with Tim. You know, my best friends today are uh, my our classmates, and um, and and it's funny because there were. Like I said, you know, there were women who found different survival mechanisms than I did, and some of them had bad reputations because of that. And so, therefore, I didn't want anything to do with them or be associated with them because I didn't want to get that kind of reputation either. And and yet, and today, that those some of those women are my best friends. You know, I realized what they went through wasn't the truth, and it wasn't really their fault. And they're trying to heal and that we have that common bond of what we went through is just um, something really, really special. To add on to that, Mrs. Disher, 
Um, were you and your female classmates aware of the historic nature that you were, you know, you're having a huge impact on the brigade and perhaps broader society as a whole during your time at the academy? How did you guys feel about that? And did you ever think about it during your time there? Yeah, it's funny, you know, we, we've talked about that quite a bit and none of us were there to prove a point or to be pioneers. It was like you were so busy that that wasn't even on your mind. Um, and it wasn't until later. I, I, I even think that to, today, um, in 2021, I, Sharon and I have this conversation, and, and, I, and, and I may may have misunderstood this from time to time, but I think that she doesn't think that she has anything to offer the women of today that are midshipmen. And I said, on the contrary, I think, and I see it every time she interacts with a midshipman, I see her... I, I see her light up. I see the midshipmen light up. I see the connection, and 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 I think that she now appreciates to the point of your question about what she went through, and she sees what the women are doing today, and it makes it all worth it. Um, but back then, that wasn't even on her radar. I mean, that wasn't why she was here. Um, she was just trying to um, fulfill her her life's ambitions about making a difference. So right. I, but given that, I think we felt a lot of pressure to prove ourselves too, you know, because we were taking the spot of some guy who could have been in combat. And so it was really, it, w it was really challenging. It's still work in progress back then, right? So where will the women go? Will they ever be able to serve in combat? The hope is yes. I mean, it makes so much sense that a lot of capability that if we ignore, it's going to be at the risk of the, of the peril of our country if we don't take advantage of that. Well, that reminds me of a quote that I saw in your book, Mrs. Disher, from the Chief of Naval Operations at your commencement ceremony. I'd like to read that and then ask what your thoughts are about it. Some of you are puzzling why I haven't made a big deal about this being the first class ever to count women among its graduates. It seems to me it's about time we stop making firsts out of these young women. I'm confident they're tired of it. They have met the test. They have earned just as smart a salute and just as much respect as any other graduate. How did that make you feel when you heard that? Thank goodness. Thank goodness. Oh, my gosh. The last thing we wanted was to be uh, highlighted above our male classmates. We really, we had done this as a class. We had done this as a team. And... I was so grateful. I think we were all so grateful that he didn't make a big deal about that. Because I know a lot of people were. Because I was in the very last row, and there was a huge platform of uh, reporters behind me. And they were taking pictures all the time. And, hey, wave to your mom. And, hey, do this. And it's like, okay, you guys, just leave me alone. I just want to enjoy my graduation. So it was really uh, a relief that he just made it no big deal. And this is a question for both of you, but despite the large amount of progress that the Academy has made since your time at the Academy, what do you think the Academy can do better today to better integrate women into the Academy and to create a better, more inviting culture for everyone at the Academy? Man, I, 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 from what I've seen, it, we're doing a good job. You know, I am disappointed to hear uh, from women who say, well, you know, every now and then there's a bad apple. But maybe every now and then there's just going to be a bad apple. But I kind of go, hey, guys, you weren't even born when there weren't women at the academy. So where's this coming from? You know, is this passed down from from generations of 
of your family who are in the military? Do you hear it from them? Do you hear it from alumni, sponsors? Like, where's this coming from? So, or is this an insecurity thing on your part? You know, I don't, I don't know where that comes from. But it's, it's so seldom. I'm so pleased to hear that a lot of the women just are like, no, it's no big deal. And the other really cool thing for me is back then, like I told you, whenever you tried to report something, boys will be boys. But so we just put up with so much stuff and just tried to let it roll off. Whereas today, women will say, hey, don't say, you can't say that kind of stuff. That's not appropriate. You know, don't say that. They call people out. And so I'm really excited about that, that kind of change, because we never would have. We just would, you know, take it on and walk away. I, I do think that, uh, well, we, we've actually lived in Annapolis since 2003. And so, um, so we have three children. And, and so when we moved back here, our kids, you know, got to be interested in coming to the academy. And, we, and I will tell you that since that time, we have actually seen quite a bit of uh, emphasis um, about the number of women that have been accepted into the Naval Academy. Um, and we've seen that the, the influence and the impact that that has made and that over time, as Sharon said, you know, there's so many positive things that, are, that seem to be taking place from an institutional perspective, not only from the Navy, but from the Naval Academy leadership, the women role models, the women that are coming back to the academy that were in combat. Um, there's a there's a Navy captain female that's uh, the commanding officer of an aircraft carrier, um, a carrier air wing. I mean, um, a four star admiral that was in the class of '82, um, and so the women are are kicking butt. And you know, and all, and and probably the proof in the pudding is whenever we run into female midshipmen and male midshipmen we talk about it and we and we don't see we don't see the things that we saw when you know when we were midshipmen and and that is so um that's very empowering and we're very very excited about that one uh broader question again about culture of the naval academy what would you like to see preserved into the future about naval academy culture that had a particular impact on you and your either your naval career or your life afterwards you know, I think uh, plebe summer is something that we're all glad that is in our rearview mirror. But I do think when you talk about a crucible of leadership, formative experiences, there's no substitute for that. And so I, I like that connotation of pressure with a purpose, right, and dignity and respect. So things are hard and you find that you are you can grow in so many ways that's what this place allows you to do i i do think this is the right place not for everybody it has to be the right place you know it has to be the right person coming here i like that the institution works really hard to make sure that midshipmen on i day that's probably not the first time they've been to annapolis um, once upon a time that was the case but but we're trying to make people better informed about what to expect when they get here and then it's pressure with a purpose, but it's pressure with purpose for people that know, have an idea about what they're getting themselves into. So I think, you know, testing our character is so important and, and, and developing ethical leaders are what we as a country need. And I, and I think that that's one of the tenets of a Naval Academy education. 
Yeah, you know, I, I would say that this isn't really um, something we've been doing, but I think it's something we should do. And um, our son is class of 2010, and he went on a cruise with the Spanish Navy uh, for a summer cruise. And in foreign navies, they their midshipmen are actually the ones driving the ship, standing the watch. And I just think we really we waste a lot of midshipmen's time by going on ships and watching movies and hanging out and, you know, eating ice cream versus really participating as an active part of the crew. So for me, I, I actually was on a my it's funny because the two women who went in the Civil Engineer Corps were uh on the first uh, combatant, uh, we were actually on a destroyer for first class cruise. And um, and I got to be, you know, assistant fire control officer and, and, and really participate the whole time I was on the ship. And so I wish, I just, I wish we would do more of that in, in on our midshipmen cruises. Mrs. Disher, what are lessons from your experiences that should be learned by the academy, by the military and broader society as a whole? Uh, you know, I, I feel like we have learned them. I feel like we're really, we are moving forward, you know, like you said, with the shape and the sapper and, and that kind of thing. And, and just honestly, for me, if we as a nation could just treat each other with dignity and respect, that's, it's such a basic tenet for me. It's so simple. Just treat everyone, even if you have disagreements, if you don't, don't agree with politics or whatever's going on, if, you could just tr if we could just learn, once again, to treat each other with dignity and respect, put down our phones and have a conversation one-on-one -on -one with people and just listen and be accepting of one another. And once again, the dignity and respect for everyone. Mrs. Disher, we're nearing the end of our time, but I'd like to ask you this because I ran into the plebe that I mentored last year, actually, uh, on the way in here, and I asked her what she would like to ask if she was uh, sitting in the room right now, and she said, was it worth it? So was it worth it uh, to go through all of these difficult experiences? You tell her that because of young women like her and young men like you guys, it was all worth it. Well, Mr. and Mrs. Disher, you've been very generous with your time, and we thank you very much for joining us today and offering your perspectives. We couldn't thank you enough. Thank you very much. Yeah, you're very welcome. Thank you, guys. This concludes our interview with Mr. and Mrs. Disher about the first class of women to join the ranks at the Naval Academy. We want to thank Mr. and Mrs. Disher for spending their time with us and for sharing their perspectives and experience. This has been the Midshipman Produced Podcast, Life at the Academy, recording from the Naval Academy's Sampson Hall in Annapolis, Maryland. On behalf of the USNA History Department and our Midshipman hosts and producers, thank you for listening. We look forward to seeing you next time.